0: Welcome to episode 66 of The People on K Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben Way.
1: And I'm Matthew Timmons. Our guests on this episode are Ostrie Swensrud and Quinn Gomez Heitzberg. Ostrie Swensrud is an artist who lives and works in Los Angeles, and she is one half of the Semitropic Spiritualists. The Semitropic Spiritualists have exhibited their installations and performance works at Richard Tejas Fine Art, Cloud Man, and the Vincent Price Museum in Los Angeles. Shangri-La in Joshua Tree, California, and at Yano del Rio, California, among other locations. Their work is currently up at General Projects, and will also be part of the upcoming exhibition Toten Pass at Visitor Welcome Center, Los Angeles, in October 2018.
2: So I got really interested in that intersection between sort of faith and feminism, and finding ways to sort of translate meaning and a voice through these, what could seem like very esoteric systems being translated into very practical, tangible, real-world results.
0: Quinn Gomez-Heitzberg is the other half of Semitropic spiritualists, and he is also an artist who lives and works in Los Angeles.
3: The project keeps moving to keep from becoming too concrete. For a lot of its existence, you know, we, we we were interested in kind of keeping everything in this state of potentiality with the group. Like, you're always asking questions and you're not always answering questions, because when you start answering questions, then you start to have uh, immovable beliefs.
1: Austrian Quinn's exhibition, What Can the Semitropic Spiritualist Do For You?, is currently up at General Projects and Outside Gallery through November 4th, 2018. General Projects is a division of Insert Blanc Press, which is also the sponsor of this show, The People. You can see Quinn and Ostry's show at General Projects during open hours on Thursday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. in Lincoln Heights. You can find out more at insertblancpress.net.
0: And at the end of the show, we're going to hear an excerpt from Audrey Chen from her recent performance here in Los Angeles. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record magically repaired.
1: Osri Swinsrude and Quinn Gomez
0: heidsberg welcome to the people. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So together, you are Semitropic Spiritualist. You want to tell us what that is?
2: Yeah. Um, Semitropic Spiritualists is a collaborative project that Quinn and I have been working on since 2012. We have since that time created a series of works that combine performance and installation and printed materials to explore ideas of both Californian utopian traditions and spiritual movements and histories, as well as using it to kind of dig into larger conceptual issues of faith and belief and charlatanism and um, sort of the human experience of translating a belief system or a metaphysical system
3: we uh, came upon the semitropic spiritualists kind of in a in a, in a bit of a roundabout way we um, I was reading I don't know why I was reading uh, a property blog um, in 2012 yeah. uh, that was mentioning um, development that was about to happen on the semi-tropic spiritualist tract which is a, a piece of land in echo park at uh, the corner of riverside and alessandro um, that was being developed for the first time in 100 years and there were um, local activists that were trying to keep the land open and, and 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 uh and untouched but um the artiste lofts were scheduled to be built in this space so uh, as we 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 did a little research into why the place was called the Semitropic Spiritualist Tract. We discovered the actual Semitropic Spiritualists, which were a group that that purchased that land in 1905. At that point, that was in the outskirts of Los Angeles. It was the end of the red car trolley line, um, kind of away from everything. That was the Edendale neighborhood at that point, a bit bohemian and a bit on the fringes uh, of the city. Um, and they were a spiritualist group. They were a spiritualist church. Uh, and they bought that land uh, for their camp meetings. And they had a large central park that was surrounded by small plots of land that people could purchase to have tents, maybe buy a couple and have a cabin, but also as a way to kind of isolate the space. So it wasn't um, something you could split up into individual
0: like housing tracks and this is not an unusual thing for early 20th century america in general los angeles specifically right like this idea of this spiritual
2: right community. right yeah at the turn of the century um the turn of the 20th century you saw a lot of this kind of spiritualist community development taking place especially across california originally spiritualism as a religion began in i believe the 1840s in New York State and it started with people like the Fox sisters and the um, philosophies of Andrew Jackson Davis. It became this kind of off-growth of Christianity or in some ways a response to um, what was seen by certain individuals as the kind of overly mandated or harshly Calvinist beliefs and this was um, an idea that you as an individual could have a much more um, direct connection to the spiritual. So it started out on the one hand as this very kind of progressive movement trying to get away from a lot of the structures of previous organized religion and allow people to have more autonomy within their own beliefs. But at the same time, as it was um, becoming connected to progressive causes like abolitionism and early women's rights, there was also a movement toward just complete like charlatanism and theatricality, where you would have these spectacular manifestations of ectoplasm and spirit images and all kinds of spectacular effects
3: I think it's worth it's worth uh, saying specifically too that I think sometimes people confuse uh, spiritualism with spirituality and just as a general concept and that spiritualism was a very specific set of beliefs um, that the you know soul progresses through the afterlife and that you can contact souls in the afterlife and that the soul progresses kind of in these stages after death and the mediumship like talking to the dead is one of the major Tenants, and then getting information from the dead, and bringing things back. So, you know, the the mediumship, um, you know, is a, is a major part of that, and that trend towards spectacular mediumship is really one of the things that kind of became interesting to us because it sets up this like dichotomy between you know deeply held serious beliefs and philosophies and of the charlatans and fakery and people pulling cheesecloths out of their mouths and dark cabinets and and so spiritualism has this kind of uh tawdry reputation but it also was a deeply held and
0: and very popular uh religion for for you know a long time and the and the correct me if i'm wrong or tell me what you all know about this the civil war the american civil war uh really pushed this movement heavily because of the ideas around death that came with Mm -hmm. the new technology of this new sort of warfare, correct?
2: Absolutely. It really was kind of around the Civil War that spiritualism was at its greatest point of popularity in many ways, exactly as you were saying, because people, there was so much death and so much loss and people were trying to find a way to orient themselves or stay connected within that situation. Um, but after the Civil War, you really start to see a major decline of um, in spiritualism on the East Coast, predominantly because the spectacular mediumship and just complete like manipulation and financial,
0: like the sh- yeah. the charlatanism, right. the aforementioned grifting, charlatan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the grifting, grifting. The grifting. The yeah, grifting. yeah.
3: yeah. people into the grift, yeah. 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Well, so
1: you guys discovered like a, a just a, a kind of a random piece of information on us, this, this like property blog, but then like where where when did you start kind of putting this project together after first just kind of being interested in like a little fact like that? Yeah,
3: that, well, if, if finding this name and finding this this group, we we were both doing work that that had something to do with kind of communicating with not directly communicating with the dead but but ideas of kind of you know what do you do about these ideas of like death and the transition there and and how do you deal with like these kind of larger in my work personally the work that i was doing at the time was dealing a lot with kind of fear and and the irrational mind and how we wrap ourselves around kind of these like large ideas of of the, of the things we we are afraid of 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 death of you know, catastrophic Events like what's the interest yeah. to pursue that in, yeah. a,
1: in a in an artistic to take it practice. beyond just like right. oh that's an interesting because
0: there's so many uh, anyone from Los Angeles or who's been here or knows about it knows that this city and this region of the country is just littered with we're lousy with with weird cults and health spas and mm-hmm. and stuff like. And they're all really cool. So what is it about this one that really like got y'all, got its hooks in y'all?
2: Yeah. Well we discovered the name the semitropic spiritualist tracked, as Quinn was saying, in this real estate blog. And the name stood out to us not only because I realized that I had unbeknownst previously lived right across the street from this tract of land, but in both of our individual practices, we had not collaborated prior to that time, we had been doing research into specifically spiritualist histories. I had become interested in spiritualism through its ties to early feminism and the idea that it became this religious space in which women were able to have larger Voices in society because they could sort of do this and around um, the prohibitions of women speaking in public by claiming that they were channeling and acting as mediums. And it just so happened that the spirits were really into women's equality and those messages were being (laughs) proclaimed at much larger scales than before. Exactly. (laughs) And so I got really interested in that intersection between sort of faith and feminism and finding ways to sort of translate meaning and a voice through these what could seem like very esoteric systems being translated into very practical, tangible, real-world results. So I was already kind of primed to notice that term spiritualism existing within an unexpected context. And the same is true for Quinn, because in your work, Quinn, do you want to talk about what you were looking at?
3: Yeah, I was looking at spiritualism and spirit communication as kind of this 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 way of people dealing with kind of these these uh, intangible fears of, of, of death and like piercing back and forth and, and creating objects. Like a lot of my work deals with um, material culture, uh, the things that we produce to either bridge our way toward the unknown or to separate us from the unknown, the, that we're afraid of. So I was trying to create these like spirit, tru- spirit trumpets. Like it's, a was it was it one of the objects that was manufactured by spiritualists, the kind of like uh, megaphone looking things, but they were, you know, to amplify the, the, the spirits, you know, voices for us, but I was building things like that. Um, not very successfully. But, <laughs> uh, but so so as, as we found this this group, this name, the Symmetropic Spirituals Tract, we started chatting about it and, and realized that if we didn't figure out a way to share this, we were going to end up fighting about it. Um, so we decided that this might be a, a, a fruitful place for us to, to collaborate. And it, it was, a, as Austria said, our first collaborative project. And this was in 2012. Uh, and we're still doing it. And yeah, that you know. first,
1: that first instantiation was at, uh, the, um, that, uh, tell us about that first version. It was, version. At, um,
3: the, one of the road concert projects, uh, organized by Stephen Van Dyke. It was on Mulholland Drive, the Mulholland derive uh, uh, iteration of that. And we had created a roadside, um,
2: uh, Yeah, like a roadside sort of welcome center or orientation center for the semi-tropic spiritualists, Um, the road concert events for those who are not familiar with them are a series of a day-long series of artistic installations and performances or audio pieces that run down the length of an entire major street in los angeles this one was located along mulholland drive and we chose a site at the very beginning of mulholland drive um, up in the hollywood hills basically Um, with this overlook toward downtown Los Angeles, this kind of perfect vista or view to downtown Los Angeles, or at least it was supposed to be, it was kind of smoggy the day that we were there, so it was a little hard to see. But um, we set up this semi-tropic spiritualist sort of welcomes um, orientation station along the side of the road, where as people would stop by and visit us, we would lead them through a series of exercises meant to orient them to the landscape using a series of viewing devices. And then we would talk to them about the histories of these um, turn of the 20th century spiritual organizations um, that are now all defunct, but at that time had been very present in Los Angeles. We had done a lot of research in old L.A. newspapers from the time of the Semi-Tropic Spiritualists and found all of these listings for sites and meeting halls and spirit mediums and seances and all of these events that were taking place across the city and just being published as these very banal lists in the newspaper. And so we had mapped those out with overlays that you could kind of see these locations of historic spiritualism against the backdrop of contemporary Los Angeles. And then ultimately we would lead the viewers um, who came to the show to this larger divination board that we created where they would use a planchette and sort of ask them a bit tongue-in-cheek to use that to find new sites of spiritual manifestation. So already beginning to play with those poles between actual history and very sincere manifested organizations, but then also kind of bringing in these more spectacular forms and asking our viewers to engage with.
1: And did, um. you, did you guys think of that uh, as, a, as a performance? Were you there like kind of performing? Um, or was it a bit more like just information center?
2: Um,
3: it, it, it was a little bit of both. That, that was a very unscripted performance. We were there, though, as the semi-tropic spiritualists. We have, you know, a, we wear slightly different clothes and, and present ourselves in slightly different ways when we are, we are them. Um, and, and we had planned, I think, to do two hours um, out on the side of the road and ended up staying for the entire day. Um, because people kept coming and people kept interacting and we had you know people lined up to go through this process with us and hear our spiel and 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 divine on the on the divination board and and um and so i think over the course of the day also that that is our first performative project the performance aspect of it became you know clear that we were embodying these people
1: You're listening to The People on k 1630
0: AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember that you can find The People on uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. And hey, if you like the show, tell a friend about it. It'd be great. Yeah, and speaking of friends, if you're in the market for shiatsu massage, check out friend of the show, Brian Ramish, at his practice, Shiatsu Alchemy. That's in Los Feliz, California. And Shiatsu Alchemy is a system of therapeutic bodywork focused on creating a balance in body, mind, and spirit. And you can find out more at shiatsu-alchemy.com. I can say that uh, he's worked on me, and it's a life-changing experience. So if you're in the L.A. area, definitely check him out.
1: And now back to our conversation with Austri Swensrun and Quinn
0: Gomez-Heitzberg. So Quinn and Austria, w- I would be interested to hear you talk about performances of yours for semi-tropic spiritualists that I've been to where I have, or or I've had an interesting relationship to them trying to figure out like if there's a level of cynicism to it, or there's a level, like you mentioned earlier, uh, a tongue in cheek aspect to it. Like how do you approach it in relationship to your own experiences with, with, with spiritual life or, or an understanding of like invisible exterior forces?
2: Yeah, that's something that we've thought a lot about in creating these projects. What is our relationship to kind of the source material that we were discussing here earlier, where while the project does come from these this very particular historical touchpoint with the spiritualist faith, with the fact that we were really sort of interested in the way that this history, which while spiritualism is still practiced by some today, is largely kind of a time capsule, or no longer a major voice within American religious practice. Spiritualism is this kind of fascinating history of both what we see as the best impulses within the human experience of faith, the desire for community, the desire to sort of do good and right in the world and to have this very like um, strong sense of per- personal agency and community connection. but at the also at the same time, there was just this total construct of, as we were talking about manipulation and sort of the grift of spiritualism. And so to us, it became an interesting way to kind of step back and almost take a broader look at all of these different positions that emerge when you can kind of clearly see these human constructions built around an experience of spiritual or an experience um, trying to tap into the unknown. And I think for Quinn and myself, it's something that we've tried to approach very openly and honestly. While there is often a sense of humor kind of subtly engaged within the works, we don't try to approach it as like an entirely cynical experience. In fact, in many ways, the project especially in many of its earlier iterations, we realized we were constantly desiring to be really genuine and be really truthful, to use the semi-tropic spiritualist history as a jumping-off point to then really think about the nature of community and the nature of belief and what it is that brings people together and these very sort of positive or... um necessary human motivations beyond um within a spiritual experience as the works are progressing now we're almost moving we see the project moving into another phase where we're starting to look at the tendency toward manipulation or the tendency toward almost trying to like ask too much or take too much from a viewer or a participant. Or to
3: to promise too much.
2: Right, right, to overextend ourselves Mm -hmm. and our, our own claims. So we see the project as a way to kind of test out all of these different positions, many of which come from our own experiences growing up within... Um, systems of faith or around seekers or around various kinds of spiritual experiences. We knew that we didn't want to make the works, you know, sort of specifically autobi- autobiographical or specifically about the religious bases that we have inhabited at various points in our pasts, but rather kind of use this somewhat distanced and now very fictionalized version of the semi tropic spiritualists to look at all of these different positions within, as Quinn was talking about earlier, kind of the anthropological or human construct of spiritual or metaphysical experience.
3: I think it's something that we we experienced early on with the project is that we always try to have some engagement uh, with the audience. There's usually a, a call and response aspect of it. Or we're asking people to participate. and. The amount of connection we got with people from that from the beginning, I think kind of showed us that we needed to, well, well, didn't need to, but we did not want to, uh, to manipulate that. We didn't want to, to be going and kind of exploiting the amount of, 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 you know, ready openness that we were getting from our audience. So like, we saw that coming back to us and we wanted to kind of reflect, you know, that back to them. So. You know, approaching all of this in a very earnest way, you know, trying not to say things as the Semitropic approaches that we wouldn't stand by as ourselves. And, you know, we are not you know, them and they are not us, and yet there are a lot of us in them and, and vice versa. But um, you know we, we don't put things in there that we that we couldn't, you know, say, yes, I I I do believe that. Right. You know, but but as the project is, is advancing and changing you know, that, that starts to shift a little bit um, in terms of we're trying to have some arc to to this, and it, it's come very naturally out of, you know, each performance leads into the next each project leads into the next. And there is, you know, a, a slow transformation of, of this group and what they stand for and what they believe in. It's, you know, it, it's hard for anyone to see maybe from one, one project. Uh, isolated, but if you can look at the whole the whole package.
2: In 2014, we had the opportunity to create site spe- a site specific work and actually a larger performance event where we invited other artists to join us as well. But at this site called The Hatchery, which is located um, in a little town called Badger, which is sort of between in the mountains between Sequoia and Yosemite, and we were able to interact with this site that had been one of the compounds of a group called Synanon, which started out as a um, well. Initially, it started out as basically a. It was. I'm it was one the of the
3: the first um, groups that was actually trying to help people get off of heroin. It was. It was. It was not strict as being a splinter of AA, but it was uh, inspired by Alcoholics Anonymous and like using talk therapy um, to try to get people off heroin. It became very popular, um, and the guy who started it, Chuck Diedrich, um, became less and less interested in uh, getting people off drugs and more and more interested in the social engineering he realized he was achieving uh, by getting people to come and live in a building and do do whatever he he told them to do. so they kind of started to become. He became more and more um, dictatorial. They became more and more isolated. They started buying compounds in Northern California, I believe, in Idaho, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then up in of the mountains in the Central Valley, um, where he would have speakers and microphones like kind of distributed throughout the property, so he could speak to everyone all the time, um, and and just he'd get up in the morning and and kind of ramble uh, his thoughts to everyone people all wore overalls everyone shaved their heads No, he broke up every marriage and had people you know remarry the typical typical stuff stuff. stuff. yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it was
2: it was a particularly fascinating place to get to work with because it had this history where it started out so incredibly altruistic and um with this incredibly positive goal of really helping people in real-world, tangible ways, and then it transitioned into this violent totalitarian cult. And this is, and seeing an example that stark, and being able to work in the space where these actions took place was like a really potent site to respond to in our own project as we tried to kind of, in that work, parse that very slippery dividing line where something that Starts out with the best of intentions, flips over into something truly terrifying or that very thin line between utopia and dystopia, to put it sort of bluntly. And (laughs) so a lot of our projects are about trying to kind of stake out those positions and think about like the complexities of actualizing ideals, that slippage between sort of a perfect idea and real world application. And so our project is always about trying to kind of make make those ideals concrete or perhaps like avoid making those ideals concrete and working in that very slippery space to try to understand it.
1: You guys have kind of developed over time this symbolic uh, constellation of symbols that have evolved over time and kind of, uh, you know, they've been added to and changed and I'm interested in, that uh development, but also more so in general, how semi-tropic spiritualists. It seems to me, you guys are always slightly moving it in a different direction, and that that change, like you said, with the synonym group, of you're not know, obviously becoming a totalitarian uh cult, not yet, not yet. But <laughs> not yet. but, uh and later, I want to ask about how many acolytes you guys have, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> taken on. But We're on but, it. like, tell me about those the 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 kind of shifting um directions you guys have taken the project in. Like what is motivating that change? Is that just kind of, you know, part of the project at at its like core? But it does seem like you guys are always kind of like moving in a slightly different direction and then with the next project taking it a mm-hmm. different way.
3: Yeah, I think to build on, on something Austria was, was was just talking about too, like it, it, that the project keeps has kept moving. Um to keep from becoming too concrete for a lot of its existence. You know, we, we, we were interested in kind of keeping everything in this state of potentiality with the group. Like you're always asking questions and you're not always answering questions because when you start answering questions, then you start to have uh, things you have to immovable beliefs. Right. so if you're always in the state of potentiality you're always moving kind of forward with it then you, there's always more there's always something else to engage with there's always a new idea and, and asking questions in this path of questioning um, was something that that's been really important you know for, for a lot of the project so it's always about the unknown and trying, trying to touch the unknown but but putting out these you know these queries and these you know finding different ways to ask, ask questions and the symbols have come out of
2: yeah we've created a set of simple symbols as you mentioned matt Mm -hmm. um that we kind of created in our first project almost without thinking too hard about them we when we started the initial project at the road concerts we had no idea that we would do any other works as semi-tropic spiritualists it was kind of a one-off experiment but when we got home that night, we had an email um, from a curator, Mariana Pomones, who had seen the work and was putting together a performance show at the Vincent Price Museum. And she asked us to be part of that as semi-tropic spiritualists. So we decided, well, we're going to say yes. So I guess this is a thing now. And so the project has really kind of grown incrementally. Each project brings up another question or brings up another avenue we want to explore, the symbols similarly have developed as we've created this set of images that each project we kind of apply meaning to those symbols in slightly different ways. And that in itself has become a really interesting part of the project to us, that if we take the same set of symbols but contextualize them slightly differently every time we present the work, you can kind of get to see how the nature of a belief structure or an organization can change in really subtle ways. Um, For the current body of work that we've been working on, Um, we decided to actually make a more definitive shift. As Quinn was saying, um, for the most part, we in previous works had been trying to exist in this state of potentiality, asking questions, not really making any promises. But for this next set of works, we're actually taking the stance that, we have a system that can help your life. We are taking all of these things that have been previously said as questions or kind of couched within an attitude of fallibility or the unknown and now we're making it concrete as a self-help book or a self-help system and it's the exact same content we're just shifting the language in which we are stating it and all of a sudden the project feels like it's taking on a very different tone and um, yeah the works we're currently creating it'll it, are now gonna raise a new set of questions for us that I'm curious to see where we'll take that next.
0: You're listening to The People on Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben White.
1: And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find The People wherever you find podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. everywhere. And if you're listening to this show and you're enjoying it, hey, you should tell a friend about it. Yeah, it's pretty please good tell show. a friend.
0: Yeah. Uh, and now let's get back to our conversation with Austria Swinsrud and Quinn Gomez-Heitzberg.
1: So Quinn and Austria, the show that is currently at General Projects, if you're listening to this uh, roughly when it airs, uh, is called What Can the Semitropic Spiritualists Do for You? And I'm interested if you can talk to us a little bit about how that question is a little different from what you guys were talking about in the previous segments about the questions that you guys ask in the sense that it it feels like a much more active question and it feels like something is shifting in this project.
2: Yeah, we see this show at General Projects being kind of a pivot point in the arc of the Semi-Tropic Spiritualists as it has gone on thus far. As we were just talking about, um, we've seen each project sort of naturally raising questions that we then try to take on in the next work. And usually that has been a really organic progression. I mean, I guess it is this time too, but it was also a deliberate choice to, in this In this project, we have started to make some promises and we have started to make some claims. We're not in previous works, such as um, a performance that we did a few years ago at Richard Teus. We did a kind of seance that was using the trappings of historic spiritualism, like bells that normally you would be hoping would ring back an answer from some unknown source. But in that performance, we were asking kind of, unanswerable or abstract questions to the audience and then we would just eventually ring the bells ourselves to kind of mark a move-on point. But in this project we are making the claim that the Semi-Tropic Spiritualists have a system that can help you with your life. So we have created, um, Quinn has built this divination table that um, we're going to offer too many tools for you to use this table, and you can kind of pick the tool that works best for you to get the answers that are going to help you. And those answers are available through a series of drawings that are ultimately going to become a booklet that I created that sort of explicate the semi-tropic spiritualist advice to you based on our symbol system. So it was taking these symbols that once existed in a space of kind of Esoteric isolation and now instrumentalizing them to become useful. And we have sort of changed the aesthetics of the symbols rather than having them be these sort of rudimentary icons. Now they've become these illustrated pages based on like 70s self-help manuals. So trying to kind of change all of the aesthetics of the project as well as the specific language and voice on the pro of the project to make it feel like something that is speaking to you personally and speaking to you directly and probably promising more than we can actually, actually deliver.
3: Which is something we'll have to deal with going forward. Exactly. Uh, After the show now, we're setting ourselves up for, you know, the next step, which is now we have to deal with what we've created for ourselves. Yeah. And has that been kind of on some level
1: how how it goes? Like you do something in an instantiation that takes it to another level and then it's kind of like okay so next time we're gonna have to deal with like these things that you're do. almost obligated yeah right? it yeah. is
3: yeah in the, the hatchery show that austria was talking about earlier we we introduced new symbols because it, it was this one was that was uh performance was about kind of unwinding uh, what had been built there like, and, and we introduced the, the, the clean slate and the extinguished candle and the unbuilt fire. So we're kind of like, okay, now we have these symbols that tend more towards the negative. So as we go forward, we need to start integrating the negative into um, in, into the into the symbol language. And before that, it was everything was very positive, and it was you know lighting a candle, building a fire, you know the hammer to drive the stakes, and then all of a sudden you have the candle snuffed out. And so it's like, well, how how do we fold this into what we're doing going forward, and finding a way that it that it still makes sense for the
0: semitropic spiritualists? And um, in a way, that's a I mean, maybe I'm this is a stretch, but like that seems like a microcosm of the way that belief systems work, despite what many of them would purport to be a concrete, unchanging uh, system of of dogma and belief, uh, that we all know that's not the way it works. Like, it's the, the, everyone in their historical moment, every belief system in its historical moment is obligated to change and, like, evolve the symbols and the ritual and all that. Uh, would you say that's accurate.
2: Yeah, very much so. It's we kind of are looking at those changes which often happen, you know, very slowly and almost imperceptibly over time, but if you look at any system of faith through a like broad historical lens, you see of course that is happening. And in our project, we're trying to kind of take on that process in an accelerated and accentuated way. You know, normally those are the kind of shifts that probably are meant to just kind of slide under the radar. But in our project, we're trying to make those shifts very clear. And so in the show at General Projects, we are thinking about having, you know, we have this one object that contains the symbols as they have always looked through all of our previous projects. But then those are displayed against these new symbol illustrations that are coming forward in an aesthetic style that has previously not been in the work at all. So we're trying to kind of put in these specific aesthetic markers to make those shifts noticeable, even noticeable in the space if you have not been following the project previously. But particularly, I think if you have seen multiple works, you're going to notice that these forms have shifted. We're also preparing for a show at um, visitor welcome center in october where rather than having um the bell be rung by hand we're actually working to mechanize a bell so that it rings through a you know unseen but probably very very, very, visible. Yeah, yeah. very very visible yeah <laughs> so and, and i mean maybe, trickery, hopefully but. hopefully this will come into fruition we have to work on our fine motor skills bell mechanisms bell mechanisms yeah, I, that. I mean speaking
0: of building stuff uh would it be would it be fair to say Quinn that you do a majority of the like the construction of the items yeah, we we th- this project I think works well um, because we both play to our
3: strengths in terms of of, of the of what we produce. As semitropic spiritualists. Austria is an amazing illustrator and um, and and drafter, and, and she's designed tracts and and uh, drawings and illustrated. makes makes all the things that I have absolutely no facility with whatsoever. I cannot draw a straight line. Um, and I, I, build. I'm a, a carpenter um, is, is in my day job, and so I've created a lot of objects for, for the project. And, and you know, going back to what you were saying earlier ben, about you know the, the way that a, a decision becomes codified and becomes part of a system. You know, we we've developed this kind of language, visual language with the objects of triangles. Everything is very triangular. And now at this point, I'm realizing that now I have to build. This is a triangle. okay now, how to build the pedestal is a triangle. now the base has to. so every I've made far more work for myself. Over yeah, the, but I mean it's, years, it's, but
0: it's a crucial part of that. I mean, because, as you said, like you you, I think everyone's takeaway from those are are mostly like Austria's beautiful drawings. <laughs> you know, it's like those are the beautiful things right up front, but I, I always notice as a like an amateur carpenter that like, in addition to those amazing illustrations, like, there are these very clean, like, pedestal constructions and vitrine constructions that are, like, have a, have signification of cultiness? Or what would you describe, like, how would you describe <laughs> it?
3: Well, they, they yeah, they, they certainly do all read as semi spirituals, I hope, which is, you know, the, the way we, we design them and the way we think about them is that these are the objects that this group which again as i said before like is a slight variation of us right. so the things that we like and enjoy uh, and find aesthetically pleasing but they're the they're what this group has decided is their is their visual language um, and so they do they all read as this kind of um set of objects set of yeah. set of you know n- not not strictly speaking ritual well i guess they are ritual objects yeah very much yeah so. i don't know why i'm yeah. tiptoeing around that after all this talk about <laughs> yeah ritual and, and belief and cults and et cetera, et cetera, but um you know they all they all you know do try to function as, as this very very clear kind of language of these these are the objects of these people like this group has you know committed to this um you know this design so we've committed to this design and the
1: the triple pyramid that uh, is constructed like it has magnets in it. They all hold together that object in and of itself is like just gorgeous. I mean, oh, thank you. I, I definitely st- not amateur carpentry. St- still no. not, I, you not know.
3: entirely sure how I made that. I have trouble remembering. It hasn't been that long ago, but uh, but I uh, pressed to make it again. It's, it is tricky. But.
2: but yeah, something that we're really interested in doing is when we're not in the studio or... At our jobs, I guess what we do for our own entertainment is try to go around and visit as many esoteric organizations, chapels, churches, temples um, around Los Angeles and anywhere we travel. And we're always interested in sort of building up this visual reference library for ourselves of the objects, the tools, the material culture that is manifested by these religious groups. And so, in many ways, like. You or you see um, when visiting these organizations the way that through repetition, a certain form, a certain shape, a certain image takes on this much greater significance. So I think within our project, we're very conscious of those repeated elements, like Quinn was saying, um, using the form of the triangle, which I, again, I think we sort of used initially, because it's like, triangles look spiritual you know there's this (laughs) whole history of and you see that in the like kind of like commercial spiritualism of los angeles three years ago everything was a triangle so we just decided to pick that up but now you know it has become a part of the semi-tropic spiritualist system almost simply through repetition Mm
0: -hmm. right take that scientology (laughs) (laughs) taking the triangle away from them um would the two of you be willing to speculate, even in a general way, about the what I think we all perceive as the rise of contemporary art that is being made around the ideas of spirituality, uh, uh, which that maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, but definitely 20 years ago, would not have been a permissible thing in the contemporary art world in which w- we operate? Like, what, what's, I guess my question is, What's up with that? Hmm.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. um, You know, think about that. When we were, uh, Austin and I were at at CalArts together in 2006, 2008. 2008? um, And we both had an interest in these things. We were both thinking about them, but we weren't really talking about them. They weren't things that we were bringing up in classes and critiques because they weren't things that we felt we would get feedback from, like positive. We didn't feel that we could talk about them because there wasn't a...
2: Yeah, there wasn't a conversation that, like, in a pre-existing conversation that we felt like we could tap into.
3: Yeah, and even though there was interest, like, we both had the interest, but there. and now today, as you're saying, like, there is, lots. There's so much right. Dialogue like, we're about
2: pretty this, regularly but. curated into shows with themes of spirituality and art, or the metaphysical, or the esoteric, and. I mean, it's a question we've asked ourselves many times, like, what marked this shift? And I don't know that I've ever come up with an entirely satisfactory answer. I don't know if it's simply that, you know, just because it wasn't sort of an allowable part of the discussion 10 years ago, that didn't mean that people weren't thinking about it, and maybe finally there was just enough of an accrued interest that those conversations first started kind of happening quietly and then much more much more vocally I mean also I think just in the incredibly like tumultuous state of things it seems like a lot of the answers that we felt pretty secure in 10-15 years ago maybe were not satisfactory anymore and people are interested in tapping into other potential sources of knowledge, you know, both for good and ill. I don't know. Right. But
0: like it might be some sort of, I mean, it's four CalArts jerks in one room. Right now. <laughs> so our perspective is, is skewed, you know, like especially because we went there roughly around the same time. And like that's Michael Asher time. That's yep. like conceptual art, capital C. Uh, you know, I don't think dry, but you know what I mean when I say dry. Yeah. Like uh, not not spiritual, not esoteric. For sure. In right. general, I'd say. But I definitely remember Pacific Design Center. This has only been five or six years ago, maybe or less. I don't know. Like they had that uh, the Cameron okay. show. Yeah. Oh, right. Amazing. yeah. Right. And I remember I sort of already started to notice that this sort of, these sort of ideas were being worked with in contemporary art and then saw that. And it's like oh, shit, this is about witchcraft. (laughs) This is a show about wizards, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is different. Like, this is a change.
2: Yeah, and I think some of it, like The Cameron Show is such a great example of this has been here all along. People have been making this work, and in some ways it's just been an incredibly, like, dishonest conversation to completely... Put aside this method of thinking, I mean, even when you go back into so much of like modernism and all of that work that was fed through the like Greenberg formalism discussion, it's like these guys were all like into theosophy and anthroposophy that's a word I can never pronounce correctly so hmm. <laughs> close <laughs> but those were all such a part of their practices and research and background and it's just a much more fascinating and rich and complicated world to bring all of these discourses into conversation at thing, least it, in my opinion yeah, yeah. These,
3: the things that, that that come that we remember and forget again there was the show and the lacma show the
2: right the spiritual and spiritual art and in 1985 like oh, yeah. which
3: was uh, uh, yeah. you know the the huge kind of re Rethinking about like what role so much of this stuff played in 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 the history of of, of modern art, and then we kind of let it fade again, and yeah. then we remember. Yeah. it Yeah, and... I
0: mean, maybe it's a dumb example, but there uh, maybe there is a relationship like ceramics, like that was I remember mm-hmm. like when I went to Calarts in the early aughts, it's just like there was no ceramics oh, department. Yeah. It's no. a thing that like, ca- I mean, uh, uh, California uh, uh, CCAC. Mm-hmm. like dropping the crafts, you know, like that sort of CCA, yeah. right. <laughs> no. Right. It's like, yeah, uh, uh, ceramics is a huge part of the history of art making in California, especially. And then all of a sudden it was it's like, ne- Oh no, this is dumb. This is dumb and hippie. And like, Oh, we don't do this now. And like, but now it's uh, a huge part of the contemporary goodness, like, art scene right. like Absolutely. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, and Cal yeah. arts, Cal arts yeah. has, uh, developed, uh, you know, the, the center of conceptual art study has, now a very extensive ceramics department and is killing it you know and it's like yeah so all of a sudden ceramics okay. is cool again yeah yeah. Right. Good, yeah
2: yeah and i mean maybe some of it also has to do with like internet connectivity and the rise in subcultures sure. and the fact that there is, it's much harder to control a singular narrative of what art is and what sort of art in academic settings can and is willing to discuss
0: well, Quinn, Austria, thank you so much for joining us on The People. Thanks thank for you for having
2: us. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The People on k 1630 AM. I'm Ben White.
1: And I'm Matthew Timmons.
0: You can find us everywhere. The People are on all the podcast platforms. Yeah, anywhere where Check you get your podcast. Um, our theme song, as always, is Ock Fifth
1: by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with an excerpt from Audrey Chen's recent performance at the Unwrinkled Ear concert series, curated by Andrew Choate and hosted by Black Editions.
0: Oh shit, this is about (laughs) witchcraft. This is a show about wizards.